Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. So I'm watching this movie and uh, <laughs> it's a kid's movie, but sometimes kid's movies are, in my opinion, better than adult movies. There's a certain degree of innocence, um, a bit of positivity for the most part. I still like to think that a child's world is, is not only innocent, but full of potential. <laughs> Something good's going to happen. Most of the stories, too, tend to be positive, affirming, uh, happy endings, all those great things. This one happened to be about a snail. Uh, it could have been a slug. <laughs> Matter of fact, there may have been some slugs in the uh, the movie itself, but the central feature, the character, the feature was the snail and the idea that the snail had personality, that the snail could become just almost opposite of whatever we typically, stereotypically think snails to be. This snail was going to be Fast, and I think the movie was called Turbo, entitled Turbo, and I'm not sure the name of the snail, if we got that, but something made that snail, genderless I believe, fast, and to the extent and degree that the whole movie was predicated upon giving this snail personality, uh, Identifying the core challenge of maybe breaking the stereotype, but certainly accomplishing the end of being fast. Um, there was a basic reason for it. I think that, as obviously might be the case, slow, <laughs> though slow and steady always wins the race, as the old saying goes. Slow, however, is not the most adaptive when you need to be fast. Psychology Today, December of 2022. Oh, excuse me. It's not December. It's actually October of 2022. Does your generation shape you? Reconsidering a long-held belief. Generational stereotypes abound in popular psychology. The entitled millennial, the cynical Gen Xer, and predictably the selfish boomer. Of course, if you are a member of any of those or these generations, you probably resist having that stereotype applied to you. You're sure, based on your own experience and that of your peers, that you can't all be so easily categorized. Major new research confirms that you're right. The results of one of the most comprehensive studies of adult developmental change ever conducted provide long-awaited answers about how personality is influenced by generational placement. The University of Hamburg's Naomi Brandt, along with the University of Washington's Kay Warner Shy and Sherry Willis, 
drew their data from the groundbreaking 70-year investigation known as the Seattle Longitudinal Study, SLS for short, which made it possible for them to tease apart the potential contributions to personality change of social factors associated with historical time. We're all subject to the forces of history, and events and trends can shape the way we respond to the world and to each other. We can't be plucked out of our historical moment and placed in a vacuum. But these researchers tried to do just that. They split their analysis into three core factors. The first, intra-individual change represents the personality changes we'd expect to see over time. The second, chronological age, represents our age at any given moment. And the third is our cohort, or others of our generation. In this way, the team could explore whether people change within themselves over time, whether change manifested as a function of their age alone, or if it showed effects specific to their generation. If there was something unique to be found in personality change among boomers, for example, the research should have found a significant cohort effect. It did not. On the question of whether trends in personality change were affected by one's birth year, the team reported that evidence was weak and refuted overly generalized stereotypes that stigmatize people born at a specific historical times or born at specific historical times. Yes, people of particular ages are affected differently by their distinct historical period, but this doesn't mean that the majority of them will mature in the same way. Susan Cross Whitborn does your generation shape you reconsidering a long-held belief Psychology Today, October of 2022, not December 2022. Now, good news. <laughs> We're neither snails or slugs. Uh, supposing that we could understand the perspective of either, and <clears throat> excuse me, for the sake of the podcast and going back to the movie. Who knows what a snail thinks? Who knows if a snail has personality? Uh, Humans certainly do, and we project onto snails a lot of things, or could, as we could any animate object. We could do that with inanimate objects, or we do that with inanimate objects. We give them personality. We, in terms of attribution, (laughs) we make them into things that we want them to be. Now, that's sort of a reflection of us and where we are and what we either are curious about at whatever particular moment or stage of life we're in. As I noted at the beginning of the podcast, I am fond of children's stories, movies. Uh, I like it because it seems to be free of a lot of corruption and particularly any real dimensions of, uh, I guess, embedded Cynicism that oftentimes accompanies adult themes, adult features, uh, which by that point have some typically point to make, an axe to grind. 
Snails are snails. <laughs> but in a kid's eyes, or a child's eyes, and to a kid's perspective, you can make a snail anything you want it to be. And if somebody's told you that it's incredibly slow, or you've sat there with curiosity as a child and observed the snail, you could say, well, that snail really didn't do much in the last five minutes. That's pretty slow. And then being a child and trying to, I'm sure, in some element of relatability, say, say to yourself, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It could be certainly at that point a boring thing, and maybe most children wouldn't have stayed there for five minutes. But if you did, you also probably had some thoughts about, well, what would it be like if I were a snail? And what would my life be like? And so on and so forth to the end of maybe even thinking, well, what if snails could be the fastest thing on the planet Earth? <laughs> or, or at least comparative to what we stereotypically think of snails or even empirically, as with observation, a child watching a snail. Wouldn't it be kind of funny? <laughs> Wouldn't it be odd? Wouldn't it be peculiar? Now, is that personality? I don't know. We're taking an animate object that has certain innate material attributes, and then with that idea of attribution, <laughs> providing somewhat of a, I don't know, different context, uh, maybe altering the realities a bit, Maybe sort of capturing some aspect or dimension of a snail's life that really doesn't exist. Now, I'm not saying personality is contrived, <laughs> but awareness, at least as we talk about it in psychological terms, or maybe as such would differentiate humans from snails, that probably does have a lot to do with this great ability to attribute, to fantasize, to add extra dimension, uh, to experiment, explore. Nothing wrong with that. I, I like that. I like being around children. I like it when my son was that age particularly because it was a lot more fun hanging out with him. Now he's become like the rest of us, adults. And it's not nearly as much fun, at least in that way. But undeniably, snails are snails, and with that, humans are humans. And though that world is always going to be available, and maybe you can delay some of that so that maybe you don't have to go there so quickly, leave your childhood innocence entirely, Maybe you want to redefine it all together and say, well, you know, yeah, we have awareness, but we don't want to necessarily go there as with the cynical, the negative, the pessimistic, or, or a world that usually brings about such attitude where there's constant demand for change, adjustment, adapting, where there's a lot of things that are taken from us in terms of material resource or it requires a measure of material resource. Now, you could argue just as easily that's the difference between pessimists and optimists. Optimists 
see things through a more positive lens. Maybe it's more childlike, more innocent. Maybe we need to hold on to that. Possibly that's the messaging in it. But those are all, again, personal choices that really have nothing to do with the human nature or the human being as would be at base. Snails are snails. Humans are humans. And in the same sort of a way, there's probably in that the ultimate of limitations. Does it mean we stop aspiring to greatness? Does it mean that we stop dreaming? Does it mean that we stop seeing the world in different terms or different ways? Does it mean that we can't fantasize? That we can't come up with stories or narratives about others, our life, that then somehow makes it more (laughs) palatable? Maybe even fun. Maybe enjoyable. No. It would certainly do that. Nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to take those attributes or attributions and make it the basis of, of our reality and then somehow begin to suggest that those are immutable, that those are somehow like facts, <laughs> like reality being immutable, But even then, reality is more interpretation. It still comes back to, I think, in many ways, simply the facts. What do you do with the facts? (laughs) You have to start somewhere. And unfortunately, we all begin life within the context of somebody else's somewhere. When we enter this world, when we begin to get to a place, maybe moving beyond so much that earliest, those earliest of stages of life where we're just taking in data, but we don't even really understand it. There's no human comprehension, awareness, maybe not there in the same sort of way as when you become an adult. That's pretty sound. Fact. That's not theory. That's pretty sound fact. We've proven that through research. There's still theory attached to it, but there's nothing that's contradicted that yet. That's overturned those basic premises. Children don't have the mental capacity or capability even to be aware of themselves, much more so ascribe too much meaning to their life until they get a bit older. But definitely by the time you get a bit older... Whomever it is that is there when you got there or arrived at that point, they've already defined things. That's really what this article begins to capture are the dimensions of that. And when they looked at the different factors, the first intra-individual change represents the personality changes we'd expect to see over time. That would be within the individual as a person. Looked at the chronological age is pretty much what we're speaking of when we talk about development and brain development and awareness. It represents our age at any given moment, which is important. But the third, the third is our cohort or others of our generation. Now what they basically concluded was there wasn't enough evidence to suggest that you could stereotype people by any of those things. Except possibly you could say, and it didn't say that you couldn't when it came to the intra-individual change because that's 
true. It's change. It's development. That continues. The facts are the same, but our awareness is what changes. Our insight, as we might move through the, in the course of our chronology, our time-space continuum, that, that portion of it that we occupy in the finite terms of our humanity, we're left with trying to figure it out, make sense of it, determine what it is exactly that life is about. Ascribe meaning to it, much like turbo, much like the snail. Now, we could look at turbo the snail, as you might be listening to the podcast and thinking of, unfortunately, the association, me speaking of a child's movie in that way, and particularly my fondness for movies like that, and even my perspective might already be kind of putting me in the same category. That's a bit out there and a bit bizarre. It is entertainment, but certainly don't get, take it too seriously. But that's exactly what we do. Because of all the threat when awareness does come to us, because of all the demands and the stress associated with generally speaking, genuinely speaking, authentically speaking, staying alive, and with that then trying to find something of the best that we can to make it as enjoyable as possible, this thing that comprises this venture, this enterprise that comprises life or that makes up life, this enterprise of life and living. But saying it that way, I guess everything's on the table, but not everything necessarily would be expedient. And with that, then maybe as much as you might make choices based on adaptability, expedience, something that works best to the end of life and a really good life, you have to start somewhere and generationally somebody else has done that and they've made their adjustments and by the time that you're given some input or you have found some agency, some ability to have some say about not only your life but the society, the world in which you live, you run the risk as much as that's your starting point, you start to have to test your thesis. As much as that may be what was given to you as the truth and reality. <laughs> facts are facts. But that's the best interpretation those around you held. You have every right and every reason to begin to reconsider it. Or consider it as it might apply to now. Some ability to make a choice in that awareness. In that self-reflection, in that identity, in all of these higher psychological sort of constructs that when we're wanting to have fun, maybe we have in and of ourselves, we have far too much time that <laughs> we would come up with such stories as Turbo. Or we might be even sitting there as a child might and looking at snails or slugs. We may be saying... Well, humans don't have to be that way. Humans could be this way. And as long as you keep it within some basis, fact basis or base, 
And as long as you keep coming back to those facts, I suppose you could configure them any way you wanted to. I believe that's what the study seems to suggest. Now, how much modification? How quickly can humans adapt? We don't know. I don't know that that the demands on our identity or sense of awareness, collectively so, cohort-based, has become such that we can't. I'm not sure we'll ever get to that point. Uh, Maybe you can just change your personality overnight. I think, again, evidence, it's already been established, that is very challenging for all of us. Uh, I myself believe that personality is there because there's an adaptive dimension, that stability, that not changing so quickly. Or the change, it's more progressive and slow or methodical. It probably would be to a snail's pace at times, seemingly. But that's better than maybe just so radical a change that we lose a sense of who we are, where we are, there's a lot, the numbers, there's a lot out there that has to be adjusted. How quickly and efficiently can you have that to make that happen or have that occur? So, so it's, it's easier to put it in a movie script, and this was an animated film too, obviously, as if you haven't already come to that conclusion, I didn't say it, but it was animated. But we're talking about humans, and we're talking about cooperation. We're talking about resistance to change or facilitation of change. We're talking about instability, chaos versus order. We're talking about those things that really in some ways help to foster our adaptability, maybe at some innate level, uh, but having social manifestation we just need to be a bit careful what is universal if there's anything would be the process itself as I'm trying to capture it define it what it looks like how maybe it's intention to be I do believe that's innately as in genetically so encoded in us But all the other, the stuff of psychology, for the most part, that particularly includes these sort of abstract concepts, like sense of self and reality and truth, uh, they're not immutable. (laughs) Unless you write them down somewhere, and with that precedence, you hold on to it and say, well, this is it. This is the best archetype. This is the best standard. This is the best dimension, and we all should aspire to it. Because as much as you might begin with the premise, if there is any room in life over the course of one's development, either physically or psychologically, social development, psychosocial development, it's probably early on in life. Because by the time that you get closer to the end of your life, by the time that you've exhausted your experiences, by the time you've been out there and lived for a while and met as probably many unique people as you possibly can, you begin to realize the old adage, there's nothing new under the sun, is probably more fact 
not just truth or reality. More fact than it is anything, anything else could be or that anything else would be when it comes to such things. Uh, it may have been a while since you last saw it. It may be something that has, again, elementally some unique dimensions. There's much diversity. How the facts all come together, how the material resources But the way they all come together is the same. It's process. It comes back to that. And living within that dimension, or at least that awareness, though it may seem to steal away some of that innocence of childhood, it doesn't. It just means you have to at least be tethered in some sort of way, conceptually, to some core element of truth. Or at least way of rightly determining what truth and reality is. Or it will become so disjointed a risk. It will start to fall apart. I think the article, article captures that pretty well. I think that as much then generational stereotypes abound... We need to realize that's all they are, stereotypes. Now, you could make that your truth or your reality. You could make that then the basis for everything you do throughout your life. And it's true, by the time identity is formed, by the time you claim some semblance of an individual, uh, you establish your personage, uh, you are... At least given, you have then in some ways constructed a house, a foundation upon which it sits, and you can make modifications. You could go out and buy a new one. You can <laughs> renovate. Um, but at the same time, though, you have to appreciate that is your standard. And in the course of what limited time we do have, in material terms, the idea of it changing too radically, the more radical the demand, the change, the more unlikely it's going to happen. And if you do seem to get it to happen, the more disruptive or chaotic it might be by trying to brainwash trying to, uh, I use brainwash because that's really what you're left to is making everybody else comply. Um, It tends to run that risk of becoming abusive, authoritarian, dictatorial, telling people what they should be, uh, trying to engineer it in such a fashion or manner to get it done. And you're probably going to not succeed very well. You'll probably get some effect, uh, and it may be even the one you want, but to reestablish as much the quality, as much quantity and quality would have to work together. Personality is not bad. It's amenable to change. It should change. The social context changes. The way we look at things change. Some grow up more, some don't grow up as much. That's not only individually, but culturally. 
Some have more, some have less. Some see the world this way, some see the world that way. But depending on what was essentially that experience, external to you, socially, that contributed to your identity or that socialization, uh, that influence of predominant cultural influences when you came to that place of awareness, you'll be working off of that and you'll be making modifications. My great hope would be, and the article really doesn't take it this far, but I'm sure its intention wasn't to. It's just to report the findings of the study, the SLS, which is the Seattle Longitudinal Study. But I think somewhere in a future context or orientation, we have to begin to realize that though we have much to say in terms of interpretation, we don't have much to say about the facts that we're given. And there needs to be the proper balance between facts and theory, which is a bit of fantasy. I mean, it's a lot of abstract thinking that goes into theory, uh, thinking out of the box, uh, looking at things in different ways, adding to our awareness, our definition of what it is to be not only the individual, but human. But in the end, don't be surprised if you don't change a slug very much. (laughs) Don't be surprised if you don't change a snail very much. Don't be surprised if you don't change humans very much. And science, fortunately, (laughs) gives us a lens by which that we might, per se, hopefully never would, lose sight of just the basics of our humanity. It's okay to be individualistic. It's okay to be creative. It's okay to embellish life with certain things that would be leaning them more toward qualitative ends. It's okay to be more comfortable. It's okay to not hurt as bad. It's okay to not lose as much. It's okay to to support one another. Or if you should be inclined to believe because of your socialization, your culturalization, that your goal in life is to go out and give everything away to the extent even yourself for the sake of change, then you certainly are entitled to do that. But whether or not we really have ultimate say over what happens, if we could truly engineer it according to what we would want it to be, simply because we want it to be that way, it's sort of like looking at the snail, giving it a persona and naming it Turbo, (laughs) and then making it something that it never will be. I think that's usually where we get into trouble with this whole generational thing. People have held on to that type of faulty premise. This is the way it is, and it's the way it will always be. No, but some things about the human experience are the way it is and the way it always will be. What really then is the difference? What do we have some say over? What don't we have say over? What's, again, expedient or adaptive? 
We've got to take that into consideration. <laughs> and, and I would say long before you enact plans to do something, test it. <laughs> do it in a controlled setting where you can mitigate the risks. Do it with the highest of ethical considerations. <laughs> no harm. Especially if it's something that's animate, living and breathing. You could argue rocks maybe living and breathing. We don't know. I don't know. Rocks can't tell me. A rock can't tell me if it hurts. A plant can't tell me if it hurts. Some believe that plants do have feelings. And it's possible that when you indiscriminately choose to uproot one or throw one away just simply because you think it's a weed, that's unfair. It's injustice. It's injustice to the plant. It's injustice to the premise. But really, when we do that in such a manner that we don't look at it empirically, we don't test the validity of it, we don't see it within the right context of science, the precedents that science affords us. If we decide we're going to throw out what we know and, and begin testing all over again, you can do that. I think you'll come to somewhat the same conclusions, at least about our base humanity and process itself, that thing that brings life to life. Represents creativity, all those things. But what will the casualty be along the way? And isn't that just as unethical? Though you think your position, your perspective might be the highest order, I'm sure there's somebody else out there that says, wait a minute, I'm not sure it is. And, and, and if the two sides are equally represented or powerful, and all they're going to do is end up trying to force the other side to comply. They're not going to let this wonderful, probably the highest order when it comes to why humans are so adaptive, this idea of awareness, not of ourselves, but of process and allow it to organically as much possible naturally occur so that we don't disrupt too much the equilibrium. We allow it to be more natural selection than human selection. If we don't do that, then we're going to be guilty of injustices. We're going to be guilty, as guilty of that as you might want to point the finger at somebody else and say, well, look what you're doing in pointing the finger and saying, but we're going to do it my way, and that's exactly why. Your way doesn't always mean that it's the right way. Test it. When it comes to counseling, when it comes to personality change, yes, there hopefully will be intrapersonal change. Intra-individual change, personal within the individual, as the article captures it. It will have something to do with your chronological age, and it probably the cohort that you're born into because of chronological, or at least the age that you were born. It's not your chronological age, but chronology in general of humankind. It's going to have a say. But at the same time, it's more important what are the basics, the bottom lines of our human experience. But that's usually not how we start life. We start life being the individual. We start life in discovering all the uniqueness. We 
Start life by identifying, oh, well, this is who you are. You tell me I am, but maybe to understand if that's true, that's what I am. I have to think about myself as something different or maybe simply because you're trying to tell me who I am. I'm going to think it differently until I figure it out. It all has to come back, though, to a realization that in the end, humans are humans. (laughs) And all of this is embellishment. All of this... It's not natural selection, it's human selection, and there's room for that. But it can't be seen as fact. It has to be seen as fluid and negotiable. But in that way, hopefully it has some sort of additional tether or connection to what we know to be the highest order of human function. And even though it may not be so biologically established, we can't establish it maybe. So empirically or biologically, in terms of genetics, in terms of human history, chronology within terms of human history and human development, as with core, as with genetic material, that really is in and of itself more important than personality. Personality, again, is fluid. It changes. Culture is fluid. It changes. But the stuff that's genetic, you've got to be careful not to override that or attempt to and not expect there to be then some detrimental end. But it's in us all to do it the right way as far as process it, (laughs) see it, understand it, use human faculty and operations to come to our best representation of what is truth and what is reality. When you come to see somebody such as myself, psychological counselor, that's what I do. Trying to once more bring relevance to the articles in Psychology Today and our discussion thereof on the podcast. But it's the same premise. We're going to take a look at what you think you are and what you want to be and how's it working and why are you in the office and what should we learn? What can I reflect back to you? What can I, as a mirror, not as me projecting on you or attributing anything upon you, but really trying to be the best I can to just tell you what I'm seeing as an observer And take all of the facts of your life in that narrative sort of way and try to align them with psychology in the sense of not the embellishments, not just the awareness, but the premise that psychology is a science. If you talk to someone and they don't base it in science, it's not a science. It's just opinion. And everybody's got an opinion and everybody's opinion is should be, at least I would think, equal unless it's rooted in some sort of empirical testing and reproving, which is the scientific methodology. But that's what I do. And then we'll say, well, okay, still your choice. What do you want to do with that? So whether or not your generation shapes you, I think it has an effect Whether or not your cohort, as with your generation, shapes you, it has an effect. Whether or not 
what others have told you that you were, or even in your greatest opportunities of constructing your own sense of self and identity, fantasies included, your own stories for what you have gotten in life and turning it into something that you want in life, whatever that end would be. You're the judge of whether it's good or bad, it's a win or a loss, it's happy or sad, any of those kind of ways of describing it. It has an effect. But what's probably more important or most important is not personality, not cohort, not generation, not even you. It's the basic genetic material, the biology of it, that makes animals different. Slugs and snails and humans and mammals, as with humans being a mammal versus reptiles and all of that. It's genetic. But let's not lose sight of that when we're doing this great exercise in what we want to be or what we think the world should be. <laughs> you, need to, you need to tie your reality to facts, not just wants or desires or whims or wishes. Hopefully the podcast helps. Trying to tether it to Psychology Today, which does a pretty good job of connecting us, me, you, to real solid empirical research. Is it pop psychology? Maybe. (laughs) It's of interest. Is it as laden with all the trappings of the terminology that if you go out and get a medical journal or behavioral health journal... Probably not. It's conversational. But that's what I want the podcast to be. I want it to be rooted in fact, but it's okay if it's conversational. I like reading psychology today. It's easier to read. It's much more entertaining. And it usually speaks to things and tries to bring about some relevance to my experience in life that oftentimes gets lost when you only frame it in some laboratory context. Or in terms of some sort of experiment or research-based context. Unless you're inclined to feel more comfortable seeing the world in those terms. I am not, not though, for the most part, my personality is. I'd much rather to see it within some context of human dimension, but not to the exclusion, certainly, of the science or the preeminence that science needs to hold. With that thought in mind, though, or with that intention in mind, I share my best understandings and appreciations of science, of psychology today, of the research, of my education, training, background, and experience, so that it might offer you a perspective, a little different possibly than your own, but one that hopefully is empirically sound and objective, and at least allows you some point of reference as to what it's really like to be human, not just Dave, Clay, or whomever you might be as a person. But really, the one thing that binds us all together is we're all human. We can't lose sight of that. I'd like to invite you back to the next edition of Word with Dave Clay. And in the meantime, wish you not only good physical, bodily health, wellness, but also good behavioral or mental health.